you are going to hear not one, but two sermons today. <laughs> Some of y'all, oh man, I got the crock pot going. <laughs> That's okay. They won't be long. <laughs> Famous last words of a preacher, right? <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, there's two things I want to discuss, and they all uh, talk about the same thing, but I felt the need for it to go into two sections. So we are continuing our series, and today, uh, what we need to experience, like every day of our life, is freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from ourselves, freedom from the enemy of our souls, all right, from Satan himself. Uh, if you're in small group, we talked uh, last a couple of weeks ago, or, or you know, time is getting away from me, but we talked about the fact that you know we do have an enemy, we do have a warfare going on uh, in our lives, and yes, there's angels to which we're all, oh, that's wonderful, that's amazing, but there are also demons out there, okay, uh, and they live uh, with and through the authority of Satan. All right. Ultimately, God, they can't do anything without God, but they have the same mindset, the same desires that Satan has, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. All right. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Okay. If God is in you, if he's in your house, the house is full, right? That's what our small group talked about. And what an amazing truth we have. Yet, although we know that truth intellectually, we don't live it out practically. The people in the book of Exodus, the 2.5 million people that left Egypt to go into the promised land, they knew intellectually, they heard the words of God, and yet they did not apply it to, apply it to their lives. So just like them, we struggle every single day about how to live no longer for ourselves, but for God and for others. And the Ten Commandments bears this out. Keep this in mind. Yes, they are God's commandments. They are God's law. But they are his law for you, for your good. To encourage you to strengthen your relationship with him and with others. Which brings us to today, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Exodus 20, verse 6. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, to break down these words, the word bear means to answer, to respond, or to reply. Okay, false is deceptive. It's lying. It's falsehood. And a false witness, witness is your testimony, something that you share. So it says, do not, you shall not bear false witness. So to bear false witness means this, to reply by giving a false or a deceptive response. Bearing false witness is another term for lying. Do not lie. What's the heart of God in this matter? Well, in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, the scripture says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Okay, something that, that, that God abhors. And that is haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Listen to this. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So think about that. God's like, there are seven things that disgust him. And of those seven, some of them are this. A lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies. 
So just, if you look at that, and there's even more to it with, uh, think about a heart that deceit, that uh, devises wicked plans. So at least two of those seven deal specifically with lying. Proverbs 12.22 says it this way, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. Lying is serious business, church. It's not as casual as you and I make it out to be. Listen, God, the very one who rescued Egypt with a strong and mighty hand, the one who formed the planets and the stars and the galaxies by the word of his mouth, That God, Jesus Christ, absolute, full holiness, the author of truth, is holy. He is the God of all truth. And we, those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, we are his children by faith and trust in him. You and I are called to be reflections of his glory. When people see us, they're supposed to see a glimpse of the God who saved us. So then, we as disciples, when we choose to lie, we depict a false view of our Creator and Savior to the world. Whether that world is right in this room, in your home, in your workplace, your school, or your play, you depict a false view of God. Time for a little honesty here. Who in this room has ever lied? Which some of us, some of us kind of, uh, what do you mean by, by lie? That's such a big word, so general, okay? Sure, we're talking about the big, the fabricated lies, the things that clearly you know and everyone here knows that if I say this, they're going to call me a liar, okay? I get that, okay? But have you ever told a little white lie, right? Oh, there's, there's always room for those, right? How about this one? Have you ever remained silent to hide truth? Sin of silence. In Leviticus chapter 5 verse 1, here's what the scripture says. If anyone sins, let's stop right there. So what's about to happen is there's going to be a definition of something and that something is a what? Sin. Okay, it's a sin. All right. Something that is against the very nature, the calling and the command of God for our lives. It's sin. All right. Anything that's against him. So here's the, here's the uh, verse. If anyone sins and that he hears a public adjuration to testify... And though he is a witness, whether he has seen or has come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Here's what that means. You hear hear something, you hear truth, or you're a witness to something that takes place. The courts come and say, if anybody has any knowledge of this event, you need to step forward, and you do not step forward. 
It's a sin and you're guilty. The sin of silence. Have we been there? How about this? How about by your actions? You have done things in your life to give a better impression of who you are. It's a lie. And we have all kinds of locations for our deception, right? There are some places where we, tr- where we choose to be our true self. And there are many places we have different masks. Okay, different faces that we play. Why? why? That's a good question. Why, why do we do that in our lives? Why do we lie? Here's why we lie. Number one, we lie to give a, a better impression of ourselves to others. If they knew the true me, whether in this situation, this circumstance, or even my views on something, they wouldn't appreciate me as much. All right? Fisherman, you know about that, right? I caught one. No, I mean, but, but think about that. We lie to give people a better impression of ourselves than who we truly are. Another reason why we lie is to escape trouble or danger, right? Some of us, many of us, man, they say nearly all of us may have lied to escape danger, to escape trouble, to escape getting caught in a sin that you had already committed. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you, and I know this from experience, the Word of God and experience, truth hurts. Amen? Truth hurts. And because we know that sometimes truth is going to hurt and it's going to sting, we choose to not lie thinking there will be no pain. But we forget lies bring bondage. But truth sets us free. I'll talk more about that at the end. But truth sets you free. Truth may cause a bit of emotional pain or a lot. Truth may cause physical pain. But living and breathing a life of truth for the believer will aid in bringing a peace that passes all understanding. Because you know, standing before God and man, you have nothing to hide. We lie because we try to give a better impression of ourselves to escape trouble or danger. But number three, I lie because I'm a liar. And it's worse than what I say. Who we are. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, it's the heart. We talked about that with all these commandments. It all begins in the heart. Lying, adultering, stealing, coveting, all these things. It begins in the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And it is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand it? Folks, we are people that in and of ourselves, we will default to lying. 
We will default to giving people, people a false impression of ourselves, either to lift us up or to give a false impression of somebody else to bring them down. And we mask this, this word lying into more social, socially accepted terms. Like, for example, adultery. We don't say, I commit adultery. You say, I had an affair. Right? We don't say, uh, boy, I've stolen from you. No, we say, I borrowed from, some, borrowed from you with no intention of getting it back. And we don't say, I lie. We say, I've got a prayer request. Because I know something about someone that I have just got to tell you. No, you don't have the need or the right to know, but I'm going to tell you anyway. We do it in a form of gossip. Well, that's another sin altogether. No, it's there. Many times we just share just enough of the story to cause bewilderment, bewilderment, uh, confusion. And in those ways we think we escape. But all that tells us is our heart is deceptively wicked and is above all, uh, above all things. Listen, here's some consequences of lying. Some consequences. I know I'm just being blunt uh, this morning. Uh, this is a big deal. This is affecting us, every one of us today. How many here are Americans? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Well, if not, hey, come meet me afterwards. We can walk through the, the system on how you can become a citizen. That's great. <laughs> You're already asleep, aren't you? Okay. <laughs> Only half of y'all raised your hand. So, hey, we got a new ministry. All right. Ministry to minorities. All right. Here we go. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Here's some consequences of lying. Loss of trust. Trust. Trust is the hardest thing, I think, to ever get back from somebody. I know that. I've experienced both sides of that. You know, there's been people in my life that have hurt me that I have to rebuild trust with. But also, I've seen it from the other side. I've caused people to lose trust in me. And a wise uh, director of missions many, many years ago told me this. He said, trust is built on three things. It's built on time. Trust is built on time. It's built on shared experiences, proximity, us living together. Okay, being together, sharing life together. Time, shared experience, and proven integrity. Proven integrity. It's amazing how trust can be lost in a breath. And it may take a lifetime to regain it. Your lying can cause a loss of trust. It can cause a loss of relationship. How many marriages have been ruined and devastated and destroyed because of lying? How many of them, how many people even in this room don't have a great relationship with their children or with their parents because of lies and deceit? And what about the collateral damage? The collateral damage. If you're a Christ follower, listen, 
If you are a lying believer, boy, does that sound like a misnomer. You will lose your testimony. You will. You'll lose your story. You may lose your family. You may lose your job. You may lose your ministry. You may lose. You may lose. You may lose. There's no win in this. There's no win. There may be a temporary disguise. But your lies will find you out. Hadn't hadn't done it for me. I've 10 years. Playing with fire. And you will be burned. The lie does no benefit to you or anybody else. Collateral damage. The reason I asked if you're an American... It's because we live, in a, we live in a horrendous culture right now from a political perspective. And I just want to say from the very beginning, you know, um, uh, if you're putting your trust in whatever's going to happen with Supreme Court, you're putting your trust in the wrong things. All right, I'm just, just being blunt honest with you. And not to get into some crazy debate about what's going on with our Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh and there's an accuser, uh, Mrs. Ford, and uh, there's been some others. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I don't know exactly what's going on, okay? I, I don't have the, the, the website that you may be reading that tells you everything that's going on in, in his heart and mind, her heart and mind, and, and everything involved, okay? I'm not sitting in the meetings at the Republican convention or the Democrat convention to see what's going on, whether they just want the truth to be revealed or if they're wanting uh, maybe to play a little deception because they see the end game, that they see that it's for a greater good, whatever the case may be. I don't know all that stuff. I only know three things. There's three things that I know in this story that's absolutely true. Number one, somebody is lying. Somebody is lying. Number two, number two, this is true. Lives have been ruined because of this. Maybe irreparably. And I'm talking about victims here. Lives are being ruined, whatever the case may be. So no matter how old you are right now, whether you're a teenager and you may be thinking about things, listen, your sin is going to find you out, okay? If, if it's one case, all right? If it's another case, listen, lying lips are an abomination to God and your sin will find you out. So there are victims here and I don't know who, I don't know, I'm not going to presume here. I have opinions, but who cares what my opinion is? One of the hardest things in ministry that I had to deal with, one of the hardest times in my life, was whenever I had two families come in. Two families and two people within these families. And both of them told a conflicting story. And everything in my wisdom and the wisdom of other pastors and friends, we tried to get down to it. But it ended up with a he said, she said. And because the lie had still never been found out, two families have irreparable damage from it. And it breaks my heart that that stuff is probably still still uh, having... Uh, destructive tendencies even today in 2018. Truth too is that lives are being ruined possibly irreparably. That's the second truth. The third truth I know in that situation 
is that at least three people know truly what happened. Three people know for sure what happened. The accuser, the accused, and Almighty God. My prayer is that God, He's got wisdom that's greater than mine. I don't understand it. I pray that He opens the eyes. He convicts the one who is destroying. And that He would bring grace. And that He would bring healing to all those who've been affected. And let me tell you something. The effect of this is not just two families. Our nation is hurting. No matter what decision takes place in the next maybe week or whatever, whenever these decisions are being made, whatever happens, half the country will be mourning. And the other half may be rudely celebrating. Church, have a heart. Consequences of lying are huge. Everything that I said right now, though, pales in comparison to this. If you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if you're lying and all your sins have not been forgiven, lying carries an eternal consequence. Revelation 21.8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the, t- the detestable, and for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Well, I'm not the big liar, I'm just the white liar. And all liars. Their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Feel the weight of that for a moment. Immediately, pastors, you want to immediately come and, 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 and try to fix you or rescue you? Let that sit for a moment. In Revelation, he's talking about two types of people generally. And then he gets very specific. There are going to be some people by no good of themselves. They fall on their knees and worship Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life when they had the opportunity. They are ushered in into the kingdom of God and his heaven forever. But in Revelation 21, 8... It says there is a destiny for those who choose not to receive Christ. To not to receive the love of God in Christ. God has done everything possible. God doesn't want you to go there. He wants you to come with him for all of eternity. He wants to forgive you of all lies. He wants to forgive you for being a liar. But to those who choose not choose to reject the goodness of God, he must be judged, and he will judge. And he will judge in righteousness and truth. He will see the inside, the very inside of your heart and your mind and your soul. And he does not have to waver. There doesn't have to be a jury in heaven. The judge knows. And he will do what's right. He will fulfill his promise to anyone who puts their faith and trust in him, that he will give them eternal life, the judge himself will pay for your sin. That's insane. The judge will pay for your sin. But if you choose to reject his payment, then he will will honor your request and you will pay for your own sin. And if you're at this point of, I'm a liar, I admit that, and 
Some of you are like, praise God that he saved me. That I am no longer called a liar in heaven. I'm called justified. I'm called made right with God through Jesus Christ. And celebrate that. But also know that you reflect the glory of God. So stop lying. Some of you are like, I'm a liar and I admit it. But I'm on my own here. How can I change? Listen, just like last week. Just like in every sin. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. Remember, your heart is desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. Your heart is wicked. You need a new heart. And you can't put a new heart in on your own. You can't do that. You need a surgeon. You need a savior to do it for you. To which the psalmist would say in Psalm 120, verse 2, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Amen? That's what we need. We need for God to deliver us from our lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Jesus goes on to say, and this verse is many times taken out of context, so let's put it in its context. John 8, 31 to 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you have made a head commitment to say, you know what? I'm going to abide. I'm going to remain in God. I am going to church. What does a disciple do? First thing, I decide to follow Jesus. If you decide to follow Jesus, not sin, self, or anything else, if you choose to follow Jesus, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. Why? Because you're abiding in his word. You will know his truth, and here's what he says about the truth. It will set you free. The truths of God's word will set you free from the lies that you have heard and the lies that you are spewing out. And they answered him, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, they said, we're the offspring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. Why do you say the truth will set you free? You see, they have been deceived just like us today. If I were to tell you, and we actually talked about this last week, before Christ reigning and being your king, who was your king before? Many of us uh, would say and have said, well, yeah, I guess I reigned myself. No, you didn't. You thought you were in charge. But instead, you were being led by the father of lies, Satan himself. We are deceived just like these people. And they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're of the offspring of Abraham and never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say we'll become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. But the sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, then you will be free indeed. So what do you need for freedom? You need Jesus Christ, the sun, to set you free. And you need daily, not only the sun, you need to abide and remain in his word. Because not only does the, the, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life save you, Okay, he saves you from sin, death, and hell, but the word of God saves you from lies every single day. You and I have a choice to get into truth or to believe lies. And if you believe lies, you're going to tell lies. Because that's what we're wired to do and to be. So listen, you can't do it on your own. You want to change, come to Christ. Come to Christ, church. Come to his word consistently. Come to it. Secondly, we need a new mind. We need a new desire. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, 
Okay, that's what we used to be, uh, church. Put away falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Now, this is going to sound so hard, okay, so so uh, technical. But here's, here's the truth. Stop lying. Start telling the truth. All right? That's it. You might want to write that down because that's like deep stuff. All right? Stop lying. But listen, you know how it works. Instead of stop being a thief, last week we said stop being a thief, but go get a job so that you can do what? You can give to others. You've got to have that, that complete change because it's no longer about me anymore. It's about the glory of God and the good of those around me. So it's not enough to just stop lying, but now you've got to start speaking the truth. So you want to change, you do that. You receive Christ, get into his word, stop lying, start telling the truth. Colossians 3, 9 says, do not lie to one another. See that you have put off the old self, that's the old ways and its practices, and have put on the new self. Don't lie to each other. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Savior. It's saying the same thing, isn't it? Everywhere you go, it goes back to trusting in Christ, getting in his word. Trusting in Christ, getting in his word. It really is that simple. But it's not easy. And the reason it's not easy is because all the lies around you are going to try to get you too busy to get into his word. Too too much trusting in other people and other things than to trust in Jesus. And so you have to fight this every day. The psalmist would say in Psalm 51.6, Behold, God, you delight truth in the inward being. Church, if we're going to experience revival, if we're going to experience God in revival, we must begin by getting honest before God. And ourselves. We need to be honest about our needs. We need to be honest about our sin. And we need to actually trust Him that no matter how much it hurts, the truth will set us free. I conclude with this. Is your speech a reflection of the heart and the mind of the God of the universe? Are you an accurate reflection? Not totally. We can't be totally. He's infinite. We're not. But when people look at you, do they get an accurate picture of God by the things you do, by the words you say? Or is it a reflection of the character of someone who thinks they're more important than God? Listen, if you lied, there's a God in heaven. Just simply confess. Receive his forgiveness and make it right with others. And you can do that by the strength of Jesus Christ in you. I close this part with a prayer from A.W. Pink. This will be our prayer before our invitation. A.W. Pink prays this to our Lord God and King. Search me, O God. Reveal me to myself. God, if I am deceived, undeceive me, lest it be eternally too late. God, enable me to measure myself faithfully by your word so that I may discover whether or not my heart has been renewed, whether I have abandoned every course of self-will and truly surrendered myself to you. 
whether I have so repented that I hate all sin and fervently long to be free from its power. Help me to loathe that part of myself, Father. To seek diligently to deny myself, whether my faith is in that which overcomes the world or whether it be only in mere notional thing which produces no godly living. Whether I am a fruitful branch of the vine or only a cucumber of the ground. In short, whether I be a new creature in Christ or only a painted hypocrite. If I have an honest heart, then I am willing, yea, anxious, to face and to know the real truth about myself. Father God, whatever we are, please reveal that to us today. God, by your mighty power, that you would bind the evil one from this place and allow us to see the truth about ourselves and our relationship with you, if we even have one. God, please expose the lies of Satan so that, God, we can know the truth and that the very truth of God, the author of truth, would set us free. Set us free from a a destination separated from him forever in hell or the truth of a broken relationship of people in our own homes in our own workplaces and lives. God, please save. Please come here. Please save, Father God. Save people from darkness to light. God, rescue your kids, Lord, who know you, but are choosing in areas of their life to not walk with you. Free us, God, we beg and plead in Christ's name. Amen. But listen, whenever we talk about lying, There's usually a thought that comes into people's heads, and that is this. You know, white lies, we we think about that, but here's one. Is there ever such thing as a good lie? No! (laughs) We're done. Thank you. Say the easy something. No, I'm kidding. It's not that simple. All right. Uh, Have you ever heard this? Uh, The ends justify the means. Have you ever heard that before? The ends justify the means? Yes. We have heard that, okay? And I'm going to be honest. What I'm about to tell you, what I, the reason I wanted to separate this because I don't want to muddy the water here, all right? And what, I, what, I, what I'm saying now, I believe to be biblically accurate, okay? But some of you may uh, come leaving thinking, whoa, he's getting a little, little uh, liberal with his theology. And so I want to be sure that what I do is I point you to Scripture on this. I, I have no uh, mic. Hold on a <laughs> Just a little a wardrobe malfunction. We're good. All right. Uh, um, and so I'm going to just go ahead and say from the onset that I still struggle with this issue. All right. I still struggle with it because I like things black and white. The problem with me liking things black and white is I can become very legalistic. All right. And so I want God's word to speak here. All right. So, um, some of us, whenever we say, do the ends justify the means, I think what we're trying to say is, is it okay to do shady stuff if the outcome is good? Uh, The short answer to that is no. Okay? No, that's not good. But then, as soon as someone says, no, the ends don't justify the means, what immediately happens is people go to the Bible. And they say, well, what about Rahab, who was a harlot, who, um, uh, in the Old Testament, she hid... 
the, uh, the spies that were coming in to check out the land, these were spies of God's people. Now the people of the land of Jericho, they wanted to find those spies and kill them. And so Rahab, who had this hotel, so to speak, she, she, she hid them there and then went out and told the people of the land, oh, they've escaped, I, I've seen them before, but they went that way. And then she comes back, unhides them and says, go that way and get out of here. All right, so she lied, right? Very similar to what happened. You're thinking, oh, well, that was, that was 2,400 years ago. Come on, you got a, a, a more recent example? Yeah, a big one, Corrie ten Boom, who uh, she lived during the time of the, the Holocaust, the Jewish Holocaust uh, in World War II. And her and her family actually hid Jews to protect them from being uh, thrown into prison and eventually uh, killed and that's exactly the dilemma that they had to deal with when Nazis would knock on the door saying, do you have any Jews in here? To which they would, uh, uh, no. Well, eventually they did get caught and she was thrown into prison uh, for uh, rescuing those people. So in this, what do we do? Well, another example, and this is the one I want to kind of rest on, is during the time of Exodus. So we're actually still in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, but this one is in Exodus chapter 1. In Exodus chapter 1, there arose a Pharaoh, a king of Egypt, who did not uh, remember, did not know about the goodness of God's people coming into that land and saving them through Joseph. So this man, all he saw, this new king, all he saw was there was a whole lot of people uh, who were from a different nationality, and in his mind, he got scared, and so he wanted to uh, lessen the population, so to speak. So he went to the midwives, okay, the uh, OBGYN doctors back then, and said this. Listen, if, if, if they're going to give birth and it's a girl, then uh, let the girl live. But if it's a boy, kill the boy at birth. All right? Is that, is that a moral dilemma or what? Sadly, not so much in America. But we've talked about that. That's murder. In or out of the womb, it's murder. Listen. In Exodus 19, verse, uh, uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, here's the, the backdrop. The midwives said this to Pharaoh. Uh, oh, excuse me. Uh, let me back up. The midwives didn't do it, okay? <laughs> I'll go there. The midwives didn't kill the babies, all right? So then the midwives said to Pharaoh, because uh, he asked, hey, why aren't, these, why aren't these boys being killed? They're getting born and they're, they're starting to grow up. They said, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. For they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife even comes. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. That's amazing. All right. Some people argue and say, well, they really did that. They, they, they intentionally went slow so that the baby can, can uh, be born and he can't kill them then. So, uh, oops, that may have happened. Or it may be that they lied. But for some reason, when you read it, for some weird reason I cannot explain, that's not the point of that passage. The point of the passage is, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Some people would look at this verse and say, that clearly the end justifies the means. <laughs> they clearly broke God's law. And, and 
somehow they're rewarded for it. Listen, I want to, before I go any further, I disagree with something that you may have heard called situational ethics. Situational ethics claims this. The end justifies the means if the end is the loving thing to do. It's, the reason I don't agree with that is because it's too subjective. And here's what I mean. Let me give you an example. All right? I cheat on my tests at school so that I can pass a class and get a diploma so I can get a good job to pay the bills so that I can love my family. That's situational ethics. The ends justify the means. That is not right. And that is unbiblical. That's called lying. That's called cheating. That's called theft is what that is. So this is why I want to be very careful with my words. And I believe the answer to the dilemma, although I'm still struggling with it, to be honest, is found in the great commandments of Jesus Christ. He says this in Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Teacher, what is the great commands in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. To use uh, Exodus chapter 1, fear God. Honor him. Reverence him. Fear God. Love Him with everything you are. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So our first obligation, believers, is to love the Lord with everything you have, everything that you are. All right? Our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our second call is to love our neighbors as ourselves. Christ said this. If we obey these, we fulfill the whole law, right? We fulfill the whole law if we love God above all things with everything and we love our neighbor as ourselves. To which Galatians 5 would say this. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says, For you were called to freedom. Boy, we need that. That's the point of this sermon series. We are called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Here it comes. For the whole law is summed up in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So on these two commands, love God, love others, we fulfill the whole law, not just the letter of the law. Okay? But the spirit, the principle. Remember, the letter says, don't commit adultery. Jesus says, have pure thoughts. Because impure thoughts is adultery of the heart. So God goes deeper. He's at a heart level, not just a hand level. So when we look at Rahab's story, we look at the Hebrew midwives, there was a greater motive, a greater law to obey than the giving of a right answer. I know that's, that's, that's spooky. I know I'm, I'm on shaky ground here. But listen, if I only gave you know, one side, we struggle, right? We need preaching that, that preaches you know, the absolute truth of God right here on earth level. So they gave... They, they, they may not have given the right answer, like a Pharisee would say, but they gave the right answer. The greater law was the law of God. Could the law, which Rahab and the midwives obeyed, love, could that nullify the law of lying? <laughs> Who wants to answer that one out loud? Let me ask you this. Did Jesus ever sin? No. He is without sin. Hebrews 4.15 says he is without sin. But listen, I, I don't have time to read this story, but Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 to 14, 
There's a recording. It's also in Mark and Luke as well. Jesus is having a discussion with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. Listen to this very carefully. Because in the story, Jesus makes it clear that the Sabbath was made for man, not that uh, man was made for the Sabbath, okay? And remember, the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. Just throwing that out, okay? (laughs) All right? So in this instance, the Pharisees wanted to catch Jesus breaking the law. So they went to a synagogue where Jesus was preaching. They knew that in the crowd there was a man who, was, who had a lame hand. The Pharisees thought that if Jesus healed on the Sabbath, then he, Jesus, would be a sinner who broke God's law. And here's what Jesus said. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? What? Law, Sabbath. Don't work. There was a greater law. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you be legalistic to say, oh man, that sheep, I can literally bend down and save this sheep, save my, my lifestyle, save uh, you know, my family to have food in places, or mm, I'll wait till tomorrow. The sheep may be dead, but I'll just wait for tomorrow. That's legalism. Jesus said, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, listen to this, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Did you catch what just happened there? It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Even if what you do on the Sabbath, which is good, and by the way, that could be subjective. Let's keep it this way. Love God with everything that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. If that is the motive of everything you do, then Augustine would say, then go do whatever you want. Because everything that you will do, everything that you pray, will be God's will. Not for your own selfish motives. Jesus said, therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, oh, this is it. Lame man, on the Sabbath, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and he was completely restored just as sound as the other hand. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus ever sin? No. If he did, he could not be our savior. So maybe it's possible that there is a higher law of God to reign over the letter of the law. Romans 2, 29 says this. But a Jew is one inwardly. Not just because they're outwardly circumcised or they obey the outward commands of God. He says, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. See, the reason why I struggle saying this to you. And the same reason why you may struggle to try to take this very instance. And and lie for your selfish ambition, not the fear of God, is because we live in a very, very fallen world that is in a continual state of warfare. And this warfare is fought on the spiritual front. And let me tell you, it will not end until Christ comes back. So what I say as I close is this. Love God with everything that you are. Love God with everything that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you are in need and come to my door 
And people are chasing you. Okay? And it's not the cops. Okay? If you come to my door, I will hide you. Not for any motive in and of myself. Because I love you. And I hope and I pray that when I stand before God, he will say, you loved your neighbor.